Well, it was Holy Week 2,000 years ago, only they didn't call it Holy Week then. It was the Passover celebration, and pilgrims from all over the then Roman world descended upon Jerusalem, the holy city, some out of political obligation like Pilate and his Roman cohorts, and others, Jewish people who were on their way or already there for a pilgrimage so that they could be there as the lamb was slaughtered and the sin of the people was spoken upon by the high priest. It would be in that time where they would have a great festival, a great meal where everybody would gather and they would eat the same meal that God prescribed to the Israelites right before their exodus from captivity and into their freedom. And it was on the threshold of this great week when Jesus made his entrance into the city. There was a lot of buzz, obviously. Jesus was riding on a very high wave of great popularity and flame, fame. I mean, after all, he had just called Lazarus out of the tomb in Bethany. Word had spread. There was something powerful about this individual named Jesus. Perhaps he was more than just a teacher. Perhaps he was more than just a rabbi. Maybe they dared believe he is the new king. The fulfillment of what Jewish people had called upon and believed and hoped with all their heart, a Messiah who once again would come and liberate the Jewish people and set them atop of the power structure again. But Jesus has a little different idea in mind. You see, his throne, the one that he desires to inhabit, is not an earthly one. He was not interested in a military overthrow. He was not interested in even being the king of heaven. But what he was interested in was being the king of the people's hearts. To be one who was truly their savior, one who would reconnect them anew with the heavenly father who had set a plan in motion from the very beginning of time and despite its various twists and turns and moments of being completely lost around the way he was there to set it right and when Jesus approached the gates to enter into the city of Jerusalem the people gathered around they waved the palm branches they put their cloaks on the dusty road, and they shouted out, Hosanna. The alliteration meaning, God, save us. Here's the thing that we don't realize, though, about Hosanna. There's a hidden promise. For Hosanna is not just something that was said 2,000 years ago. Hosanna is, in fact, a cry of the generations. It's something that has been said by people who long preceded us. It's something that has been said by us ourselves. All of us have come upon moments in our existence and in the history of this world when the circumstances and the trials of life have been so great that in some shape, form, or fashion, we have to shout out, Hosanna. 
God, save us. God, God, save us. The circumstances, the issues surrounding my life and that of my family and community are, are too great. They're overwhelming. And the generation cry of Hosanna says, in fact, I believe two things. It says we need God. And it also speaks to a belief and a hope that we think that God is near and, in fact, can help us. That was certainly the cry of the people in Jesus' day, people who were under the boot of Roman authority. In this situation, they had no rights, no agency, no dignity. They had no hope for tomorrow. They only had fear of what could happen to them and theirs today. And for that and so many other reasons, out of this situation of oppression and hopelessness, they saw Jesus, and in their hearts and minds, he was the reflection that God is in fact near, and God can change the situation. God can help those who were calling out his name. And now today we have our own generational cry of Hosanna. No, we don't live under the oppression of the Roman authorities, but ours is a more sordid reality. We live in a country that's never been more divided. Perhaps you've been watching the news this past week wherein a specific announcement revealed that never have we been more polarized than now. And it doesn't look like things are going to get any better in the short term. We're in a situation, a situation in which we cry out, God, save us. We have people close to us. Homes lost in tornadoes, lives destroyed. We have a border between Mexico and ourselves where immigrants from all over Central America, many of whom we spoke to in Honduras, are amassing there trying to find passageway in. And it's not because they want to steal jobs. And it's not because they want to live in a welfare state, but it's because they live in a state of such desperation where their only hope is to sit and wait and hope. We have an opioid epidemic in our country. Fentanyl specifically has flooded not only the United States, but moreover our own community of Carroll County. It claims yearly 112 people who die from overdose. So much has been the need to intervene that just this past week, the government has allowed for Narcan, a substance which will reverse the effects of an opioid overdose to be distributed over the counter. This 112,000 people who died from opioid overdose does not include, in addition, the 144 people 44,000 people who die yearly due to alcohol abuse. Thinking of all of our stadiums in Atlanta, you would fill them time and time again and still not reflect 
the over 250,000 people who die yearly from opioid overdose and alcohol-related deaths. We have another mass shooting, this time in Nashville, Tennessee, where six people, three teachers, three students, lost their lives. We have 40 million people worldwide who are enslaved, many of them children, who were involved in sex trafficking. And I say all this, and I haven't even touched on a national credit card debt situation in which people have amassed over a trillion dollars in debt, a now over year-long war in Ukraine. All of these situations make us feel like things are out of control. And in our hearts, we ourselves have a generational moment in which we cry out, Hosanna, God, save us. God, please save us. We need you, and we believe, we dare hope that you can come into our lives and help us. And to that generational cry is God's eternal answer. Jesus Christ will save us. Jesus Christ is making a way. As surely as he entered into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey 2,000 years ago to make a way for God's people both then and now, so too he is here in our very presence. And he still is making a way. But in Jesus' mystery, in Jesus' divine will, he invites your heart to become a participant in this saving process. You see, we don't just profess Christ as Savior so that we get to go to heaven one day. We profess Christ as Savior so that even now, his transformative power will do a work in us so that we will change, so that we will become different People, so that we will never longer, as the words of the Apostle Paul say, be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed in the renewing of our minds. So Jesus brings to us a salvation, yes, but Jesus, I feel like today, brings us three questions of whether or not we will change. And I want to ask you to write these down. Because I truly don't know the answer to these questions. I have hopes for them. But ultimately, the decisions for how these questions shall be answered are not only yours who are gathered here, but indeed every single person who calls this wonderful place called Earth home. The first thing about Christ's salvation for all of us is that Jesus saves through the humility of the cross. Without a crucifixion, there could not be a resurrection. He had to endure the passion. In our scripture today, Jesus says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, there cannot be any future fruit. 
Of course, what he's talking about is unless I suffer a physical death, there cannot be the first fruits of the resurrection. There cannot be people who follow me and likewise no longer have to fear death, but can live into the fullest expression of life. So in the fact that Christ saves through the humility of the cross, that his blood was spilled so that we sins could be atoned for, there's a question inherent in that. In that same spirit of humility, I believe Jesus is asking us, can we change so that we put the pain and hardship of people before our own opinions? Let me repeat that. Can we change so that we put the pain and hardship of people before our own opinions? There is this group of people present as Jesus is marching in, and they're the Pharisees. It's far too easy for us to just level them as bad people who just were the consummate cynics, but really and truly, the Pharisees are are in this word of Scripture today so that we can be aware of our own tendencies to be like them. For in this moment of triumph for Jesus, what is it that they say? Quite literally in the Scripture it says, you see, we can do nothing. (laughs) You see, we can do nothing. it's It's a spirit That's in our hearts, an evil that exists wherein we think that we are powerless to change ourselves and to change the reality in which we live in. For even if they disagreed with Jesus and his claims to be the son of God, there was suddenly something they could have done. There were still poor people that needed food. There were still widows that needed alms. There were still prayers that they could have said There were still people that they could have yet helped. And yet, because of where they were in their lives, they chose instead to put their opinion instead of a practice wherein they were there first and foremost to help people in God's name. I encountered this on social media following the Nashville shooting. And I told Rebecca on a walk on Friday that I... I had to step away from my phone for a moment because I was mad. I was mad. It was an opinion that was expressed where someone said, in effect, a rock in the hands of Cain killed Abel, but a rock in the hands of David slayed Goliath. It was a political opinion, in effect, saying, guns don't kill people, people kill people. I am not a politician. You will never hear me say left or right. You will never hear me say full-on Second Amendment or take them away. But what you will hear me say is in the moments of tragedy, can we please put aside opinions? And can we please behold the grief of our neighbor? That while being removed from us, several states away, while being different than us, we do not need to apply political platforms to real lives that have been forever changed, to parents who will never see their children come home again, 
to teachers who will never enter the classroom again. Instead of saying, we should have more guns or less guns, can we just say together, Hosanna. God, save us. You see, we can do something, even if it's within our own hearts to say, it's not going to be a political posture that fixes this, this spiritual brokenness in our age. The next thing that Christ does in way of saving us is he came to save every single person regardless of their creed, their race, or their kin. Seemingly directly after his triumphal entry, Greeks, people who obviously were not Jewish, came up to one named Philip and said, we want to see Jesus. And as scripture goes on to relay, their request was granted. Although they were different, although they were other, although they never maybe even believed in Christ as Savior, they were so curious and perhaps held in the wonder of this moment of what could be that they dared approach Jesus and said, can we only see him? I think that applies to us in another question about whether or not we can change. Can we change so that we seek to help with situations, even if they don't directly affect us? Let me repeat that again. Can we change so that we seek to help with situations, even if they don't directly affect us? Could have been Philip's response that these Greeks are someone else's problem. Certainly could have been Jesus's. I don't have time for people this late in my biological life. They need to go elsewhere to find their hope, to find their peace, to find their source of love. But no, Jesus was not there to proclaim something that was a religion or a faith practice for a very isolated group of people or a very isolated group of people in the world even. No, Jesus was there to establish a world religion wherein any and all who dare would dream of entering into the presence of Jesus Christ only need to ask and their request is granted. I'd like to say that after Jesus' inclusion of the Greeks into his audience, he says this, the Son of Man has been truly glorified. You see, it's only when we look to the problems of those of others or look to the needs of those and others and include them under this steeple known as First Baptist Church that Christ can truly be glorified. Not looking out just for our own, mind you, but looking out for those who are in need. Not looking out for our own interests or vain conceit, as it says in Scripture, but in humility, considering others better than ourselves. Not seeing people who are ravaged by life, like those who are under the throes of addiction, as people who get what they deserve. Make your bed and you sleep in it. Can't you just knock it off and quit? And instead, getting down to the nitty-gritty, that we realize that addiction is not some moral failing on behalf of that person, but it is a mental illness just like 
You have a problem with anxiety or you get overwhelmed by stress or I tend to go to self-control. Addiction is something where although it doesn't affect maybe you, it affects the person beside you. And they're waiting, they're dying, they're yearning for the opportunity for someone to come along in the spirit of Hosanna and say, your burden is no longer just yours alone. How can I pray for you? How how can I help you? Is there someone that I can get you in touch with to talk to? The last way that Jesus saves is that he saves because he trusted the power of God's love more than he was afraid. Let me say that one again. Christ saves because he trusted the power of God's love more than he was afraid. You say, what? Jesus was the son of God. He knew how this was going to end. Why, why was he afraid? Because he was human. Yes, he was, he was the son of God. He was both God, but he was God incarnate. He was in human flesh. And when this situation presented itself, when a, when a collision was going to happen, he knew that there was, there was something looming. He knew that a cross was in his near future. Just like you and me, he was, he was scared. He was afraid, but he, he never, praise be to God, he never surrendered to fear. You know what he did surrender to? Something that you and I can surrender to as well. It's trust in the power of God's love to be stronger than evil, to be stronger than fear, to be stronger than self-interest. You know, First John, it says, true love drives out all fear. There's something in God's love that's just simply more powerful. And my argument is that if it is in fact more powerful, then why can't we just trust it? Why can't we trust that instead of continually surrendering to the fear of the age wherein we just kind of with resignation say, well, it is what it is. Mass shootings, they have to go on forever, right? We're constantly stuck in the cycle of people offering empty words, saying thoughts and prayers, and that's all we can do. No. God's love is more powerful than thoughts and prayers. God's love is one that inspires prayers and actions. Amen. And I'm not saying that I know the answer, but I'm saying that we are better than what we are currently doing. So here's this question. Can we change so that we seek solutions from the power of God's love, which is courage, instead of succumbing to the fear of this age, which is cowardice? Can we change so that we seek solutions from the power of God's love, courage, instead of succumbing to the fear of this age, which is cowardice. Jesus said, my soul is troubled. I'm afraid. But what should I say? Father, save me? Or Father, glorify your name? I have glorified it, said the voice from heaven, and I will glorify it Again, you see what I think this means is when we are able to trust and in fact act in the spirit of God's love, 
The voice that spoke to Jesus, some who believed it was thunder, others who believed it was an angel's voice, likewise resonates with power even here today. People hear it when the church and the people of God are willing to step forward in faith and encouraged to say God's love has a better way. God's love has a better future in store for all of us. Heaven echoes with power and thunder. But mark my words, my friends, heaven also remains deftly quiet when we ourselves succumb to fear and are too afraid to speak aloud. Can we change so that solutions from the power of God's love, which is courage, are our answer and instead of succumbing to the fear of this age? Hosanna. God save us. Do you need God to save you today? Do you need God to save you today? Are you calling out to God to save us today for where we are, who we are, what we're doing to one another? Then you are not alone. You are one amongst people past and present who likewise echo this generational cry. God save us. And the eternal answer of God is always, God will save. Jesus is making a way. But to be truly saved by Jesus, we've got to change our hearts. We've got to change our ways. And so in this last week of Holy Week, before we get to the exclamation point of empty tomb and resurrection, we've got this one last opportunity to repent, to get it right with God, to say, God, save us, but moreover, to say, God, save me. Change my heart. Change my way of thinking. And folks, in the old Baptist tradition of which I was raised, there's a way we can do that. It's called prayer. It's called opening up your heart and getting real with God. And I'm not talking about saying a prayer that you just flippantly put out there. I'm talking about a real gut-level prayer when you cry out the hosanna of your life and your time and your day right here and right now. So here's what we're going to do. This generational cry of hosanna needs to be answered by God's eternal answer of Jesus Christ. And we've got a hymn of invitation It's page 641 in your hymnal as we're all reaching to a higher ground. But I don't don't want you to come forward to talk to pastor. You can join the church after the church service. You can ask me about how to start a relationship with Jesus after the church service. If you're coming down front today, it's because you're joining me to pray. I'm going to be down here on my knees, and it's not for show. It's for my own generational cry of desperation. God save me. God change my heart, my life. And then may I be fully saved. And if you can't make your way down here, pray from where you are. But let's make this response time a real response and hear God's answer. Will you sing? Will you stand? Will you respond?